You got your Bible? Now, don't worry, I'll get you to Mama's in time for lunch, right? Got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We call this the resurrection chapter often. I'm talking about resurrection confidence this morning. Paul certainly had that. Thank you for standing as we look at verses 1 through 4 to begin with, and we'll come back and see some of the others later as well. He says, I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters. That sound like a parent talking to us sometimes? Let me make this clear. <laughs> Paul wanted to make this clear. Brothers and sisters, the gospel I preach to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preach to you, unless you believed in vain, for I passed on to you as most important what I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Now, they did not have the New Testament Scriptures at this time. They were in the process of receiving them. And so according to the Scriptures meant just as the Old Testament prophesied, it all came true in Jesus. And Father, we thank you for that, the greatest news the world has ever known. Help us to be faithful not only to believe it, but to share it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. The name Greg Laurie has been uh, prominent lately because of the movie Jesus Revolution, and uh, he's, his story is kind of shared in that movie of how he came to faith in Christ during the um, Jesus people, the hippie movement, and all of that. Greg Laurie tells a story about a letter that was written from a member of a liberal church to a Christian columnist back when most newspapers would have somebody who did kind of uh, a pastor's column or a religious column or a Christian column. And so this letter from a member of a church where the pastor had kind of bought into some of the uh, historical critical methodologies that take scissors to the Bible and cut a lot of it out, certainly not believing any of the miracles in, in these more liberal churches. And, and the, so the letter to the columnist said this, our preacher on Easter said that Jesus just swooned on the cross. By the way, that's referred to as the swoon theory, that he, he passed out on the cross, but he didn't die according to the swoon theory, which is refuted by anybody with common sense. That he swooned on the cross and that his disciples nursed him back to health. What do you think? Signed, bewildered. Well, the columnist posted the response later on that another reader had sent in to this critic, a reader obviously from a Bible-teaching, Bible-believing church, and it said, Dear Bewildered, beat your preacher with a cat of nine tails with 39 heavy strokes. Nail him to a cross. Hang him out in the sun for six hours. Run a spear through his heart and embalm him and put him in an airless tomb for 36 hours and see what happens to your pastor. See if he swoons, right? Maybe the deacons could nurse him back to health later on. Well, Paul obviously did not believe in the swoon theory or any of the other ludicrous theories that even liberal cynics and skeptics have refuted most of today. This is the resurrection chapter of an authentic letter written by the Apostle Paul, 
And you know, while I believe all of the Bible is God's inspired, inerrant, infallible Word, even the critics, even, even the, the secular scholars who look at history and ancient literature say, you know, 1 Corinthians is one of those books that we have to admit that, yes, it was written by a religious man named Paul who claimed to have had an encounter with the risen Lord and who gave his life after being an intelligent Jewish leader. For some reason, he abandoned all that to become one of Christ's followers. So even the, the cynics and the skeptics, whether they believe Paul or not, they still acknowledge that these letters are authentic, letters like Romans and Galatians and 1 Corinthians and a couple of others, and then they, they reject many of the others, and they might go for a later date of the Gospels, but they do believe that there were those apostles who believed. Whether they believed the apostles or not, that's up to them, but they do believe that the apostles believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This letter, 1 Corinthians, written to that blue-collar church in a blue-collar community, a crossroads of the world, known as Corinth. Everybody tended to have to go through Corinth to get to somewhere. For those of you who fly a lot, you know that Atlanta is kind of one of those cities, right? It seems like you have to go through Atlanta to get anywhere. I'm glad when the rapture happens that we're not going to have to go through Atlanta to get to heaven. But a lot of people go through Atlanta. This, Corinth was kind of like that. Everybody went through Corinth to get to wherever they were going. And here's Paul writing to the church still in the middle of the first century, saying you need to know some things. And you can have confidence in the resurrection if you know these things. First of all, his grave was abandoned. His grave was abandoned. Verse 4, he did literally die. Paul had looked at all of the facts and discovered, especially through his encounter with the living Lord on the road to Damascus, that Christ died for our sins, the most violent death that the Roman government could come up with in that day to execute Christ on the cross so that the nails were placed in such a way in his hands and his feet just for him to get a breath to say those seven sayings we heard this past Friday night shot the feelings of lightning bolts through his body. And the physical pain was something that was so torturous that many can't even imagine a human surviving as long as he did survive on the cross. And at the same time, that was not the worst of it. It was that spiritually, all hell was being poured out on him so all heaven could be one day given to us. The wages of sin is death, and that death is not only a physical death, it's a spiritual death. So he had to die your spiritual death and my spiritual death death. When he said, let this cup pass from me, if there be any other way, it's because all of hell was in that cup that was going to be poured out on him. And he said, because he loves you and he loves me, not my will, but yours be done. He was literally buried. Two religious Jews are attributed to leading the steps toward his burial. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, a member of the Sanhedrin who had earlier come to Jesus by night, giving greater authenticity that these religious leaders, though their colleagues were shouting crucify him, that he's a heretic, they saw something in Jesus that made them say, man, he must be for real. And then verse five that he, or verse four that he 
rose on the third day, just as the Scriptures had prophesied. All of this, his death, his burial, his resurrection. You can read Messianic Psalms like Psalm 16 and Psalm 22 that describe how Jesus would die and that he would live again. You can read the prophecies like Isaiah 53 that I referenced a moment ago during the Lord's table that Jesus would be wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our sin would be upon him, and by his stripes we would be healed. And yet that Messiah's days would not be ended at that moment. He would live again. We would read passages like Genesis chapter 3, that the seed of a woman would crush the head of a serpent, and that's what the gospel did when Jesus died and rose again. We see pictures that are interpreted by Jesus himself and other New Testament writers like Abraham and Isaac's adventure, if you will, or Jonah's adventure. All of those, according to Jesus and the New Testament writers, were pictures of a Messiah who would live and die and rise again. So he was dead and buried and alive again, just as the Scriptures just as the Old Covenant had foretold. That's why we don't throw out the Old Testament. We reinterpret in light of the New. And he appeared to give evidence of his resurrection. If you look back at verse 5, he appeared to Peter and then to the 12. We know he also appeared to the women that went and told Peter and the other 12 about the resurrection And then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters. So remember, even skeptics say that this letter is authentic, that Paul wrote this letter to the church at Corinth, and while they may not have put their faith and trust in Jesus, they acknowledged that Paul believed he did, and that Paul was saying, I can show you 500 brothers and sisters, most of which are alive even to the day Paul was writing this letter. He says, look, you want to talk to them, you can go talk to them about their witness of the resurrected Christ, their encounter with the resurrected Christ. 500 brothers and sisters at one time. So it wasn't, listen, they weren't all smoking the same funny weed in mass hallucination here. He appeared to them. Then he appeared to James. I wonder why he mentions James here. Why does he single James out? Well, Yes, because he appeared to him, but if this is James, the older son of Zebedee, as we believe it is, then James was the first apostle to be martyred. He was not the first Christian martyr, that was Stephen. But James, when you read in Acts chapter 12, you learn that by the time Paul has planted these churches, he's writing this letter, James had already been executed for his preaching of the gospel. Herod had already had James killed. And so this resurrection chapter is as if Paul is saying, I want you to know something. As he will conclude the chapter later on, just as Christ died and rose again, so all those who die in him will live again in him. Your resurrection is as sure as the resurrection of Christ. Not only that, but I believe it's also right here a witness or an apologetic of the faith because he's saying, Listen, James was willing to die for this truth. Now we know that 11 of the 12 apostles died a martyr's death, and the one who didn't, John, they tried to kill him. He survived it. They exiled him to the island of Patmos where he received the revelation. 
and sent that to the seven churches of Asia Minor. But all of the apostles, like James, who had already died by this point, were willing to die for their faith. Now, it's been taught by critics of religion that people will die for what is a lie, but they will not die for what they know is a lie. People will die because they believe the wrong things, but they truly believe it. But people won't die for a lie that they made up. And all of these apostles had witnessed the resurrection of Christ in such a way that they were willing to die for their faith. They knew it was real, and they knew that they would ultimately rise again on their resurrection day as well. And so his grave, no doubt, full confidence, Paul says, his grave was abandoned. Christ was alive. Number two, that tells us that his gospel was affirmed. His gospel was affirmed. Look at verses one through three that kind of laid the foundation for where he's going in this chapter. I want to make this clear. This gospel, which means good news that I've preached to you, which you received, which you have taken on which you have taken your stand and by which you are being saved. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we might be saved in the name of Jesus Christ. His is the only good news, the only gospel. If you hold the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I passed on to you. By the way, he goes on to an argument later that we don't have time for this morning, that if Christ had not risen, then you would have believed in vain vain. There's no room for existential Christianity that, okay, it just makes us better people, so it's a good thing to be religious. And he says, no, 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 that's all in vain. Jesus rose from the dead. For I passed on to you that Christ died, was buried, and rose. So he's saying that the resurrection and the evidence of the resurrection that I've given you, that's affirmation that this is the gospel, that there, there, listen, there are people who don't want to believe in what we're reading here as good news. And it's because if they believe Jesus rose from the dead, then they have to also believe other verses that they don't want to believe. Like John 14, 6, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. See, if Jesus rose from the dead and every other religious leader has remained dead, then Jesus has affirmed the gospel that he truly is the only way To the Father, all roads don't lead to heaven. Folks, that don't even make sense. I know a lot of people say, well, everybody's got to find their own way, and people have many different ways to get to God. We have a a pretty amazing interstate highway system in the United States, but I'm not going to tell you that every interstate will take you to where I used to live in Wilmington, North Carolina, because you can stay on I-95 all day long if you don't eventually get off on I-40 you're not going to get there. Listen, you can say all roads lead to the same place, but it just doesn't make sense, and it's just not true. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. His resurrection affirms that. Acts 4.12 says there's no other name given among heaven by which we might be saved. Philippians chapter 2, 9 through 11, they really don't want to believe that. If I believe Jesus rose again, I have to believe that God raised him from the dead, seated him at the right hand of the Father, that, that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father, and they don't want to acknowledge that, that his gospel was affirmed, because then we would have to deal with sin. We would all have to acknowledge that the way that we live our lives without Christ is in sin, 
and that we are only saved when we turn from sin and self. That's called repentance. And it's, listen, it's two sides of the same coin. Don't try to uh, make repentance and faith too complicated and talk about which comes first. When you turn to Jesus Christ, you're saying, I'm turning away from sin and self. And that's by the grace of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. So, number three, his grace is available. Because his gospel was confirmed, his grace is available. Now, what I like about this is this is where Paul says, let me just get personal with you. Let me talk about my personal encounter, my personal need for Jesus Christ. Last of all, verse 8, as to one born at the wrong time, Paul's saying, man, I'm a Johnny-come-lately here. I'm, I, I got in after the other apostles, but he also appeared to me. He saw the light on the road to Damascus, and his life was never the same. And he said, for I am the least of the apostles. I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And listen, every born-again believer under the sound of my voice would have to say the same thing that Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I didn't earn it, I don't deserve it, but by God's amazing grace. I don't deserve to stand up here and preach this morning. Anybody who knows me well would know that. I don't deserve it. Paul said to me, who am less than the least of the saints, this grace was given that I might preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Not only does God give grace to save, he gives you the grace to be able to go and tell other people what Jesus has done for you, to be empowered as his witnesses in the world. Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.15, but Christ came to save sinners of who I am chief. And so here's the irony of all this as we kind of tie it all together. The reason the cynics and the skeptics don't want to believe is the very reason they should believe. They don't want to believe because we would have to acknowledge that we're sinners in need of a Savior. But that's the reason we should believe is because if Jesus has risen, that means we have a Savior. We have a living Lord who died for us, paid the price, rose again, proving that the check cleared, that he's alive and well today. And by rejecting their standing condemned already, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. For the world stands condemned already. Jesus didn't have to condemn them because they were already living under the condemnation of sin. But he came to save us from our sins. But as many as received him, John 1, 12, as many as received him, to them he gave the power to be called the children of God, even to those who believe on his name. That's the confidence in the resurrection that we have today. That's Paul's confidence, but it can be your confidence. Would you bow your head with me this morning? Have you trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior? With every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around, if you would just say, today, today I'm convicted by the Holy Spirit I am not born again and the best way I know how pastor I'm turning from sin and self and trusting in Jesus you're acknowledging that you know that you're a sinner you're saying I believe Jesus that you died for my sin 
I believe that you rose again to give me life everlasting. And by faith, I trust in what you did for me, for my salvation. I just wonder if that's the prayer of your heart today. Are there some in this service, like there were in the first service, who would say, I'm trusting Jesus. Just lift up a hand. Nobody look around. Just say, that's me. I'm, I'm putting my faith and my trust in Christ and him alone. Amen. Amen. I see those hands. Anybody else? Anybody else? Amen. Father, we thank you for the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. We thank you for the grave that was empty and a resurrected Lord. Lord, may we live with resurrection confidence, not only that Christ rose, but as Paul concludes this chapter, that we would be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that because Jesus is alive, our labor is not in vain in the Lord. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to ask you to stand.